With that in mind, we continue our series, uh, Heaven's Heroes, Life Lessons Now from New Testament Heroes of the Faith. And while you're turning to John chapter 20, take note to this banner right here. We're in the middle of Sunday circles. Everyone say Sunday circles. And I have to tell you today, our circles were a little uh, uh, sparsely attended this morning, and sometimes things start strong and then they don't finish strong. I want to encourage you. We've got three or more of these to, to go. And so I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in our uh, uh, front uh, sanctuary area, the children's church or the multi-purpose room, whatever you want to call it, and be here at 9.30 or a little earlier. There's donuts. Everybody say donuts. In fact, uh, we ought not, if we have extra donuts, we ought not award them to people who don't come to Sunday circles. We ought to, we ought to just hold on. Look what you could have had had you been to Sunday circles, but we're not that... Uh, uh, we're not that mean. Uh, and so uh, if you ate a donut and didn't come to Sunday circles, uh, may it bless you really good. Amen. But we want to encourage you to be here. It, it, it'll bless you. Relationships aren't built in rows. They're built in what? You'll never get to know anybody staring at the back of their what? Head. And so I want to encourage you to be here at Sunday circles. Whether you realize it or not, you need to, you need a circle in your life. We need circles. So next Sunday, 930. Are you in John chapter 20, verse 31? Are you there? John, John chapter 20, verse 31. In just a moment, we're going to, I'm going to introduce to you our, our new hero, New Testament hero of the faith. In fact, uh, uh, his name is John. Everybody say his name is John. Now, last week we looked at John the Baptist. Man, what a hero. What a great, uh, in fact, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? There's not been a prophet born of a woman any better, any greater than John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus gave him a hundred. Jesus, there's nobody greater because of his influence. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of the apostles, John, the trusted apostle of love and truth. And I remember, let me give you some suggested reading now. This is a lot, but he wrote five books of the Bible. You may or may not have realized that. Some people question his authorship on, on one of them. Uh, in fact, it's very clear. John the Apostle wrote the book of John, okay? Now, let me just throw this out. He, he wrote it in third person, okay? Like he was someone looking on, but he wrote the book. In fact, he refers to himself not as John, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay? So it's an interesting, when you look at it, how he uh, wrote that. In fact, one little thing I learned, realized today, you know, he and his brother, what was his brother's name? James. They started, they got off to a rough start uh, in this and they got to, their mom included and they decided they wanted to be seated on one side, each side in the kingdom of God, one on the left, one on the right. And Jesus didn't rebuke them about that. He said, you know what? I, I, that's not my call. But he said, are you able to, to uh, drink the cup that I drink? And they unwisely said, uh, yes. And he said, well, you'll drink the cup, but to sit on my left and right, uh, you know, that's up to God. And, and when you look at their life, they did drink the cup that he, you know, they were ensnared by the words of their mouth. And so uh, Jesus gave them the name, the sons of thunder. Uh, have you ever met anybody that just, boy, they're just, they're thundering about this, you know. So he kind of nicknamed them the sons of thunder. We won't get into that. Uh, but he, it's very clear he wrote John. And you know what he did not include in his gospel? The story of asking 
uh, to sit on the left and right. I just thought that was interesting. He didn't throw that in there. Uh, the, uh, a couple of the other gospels did. Uh, in fact, he wrote his gospel later. He was the youngest of the apostles, and we'll talk about that. Uh, uh, and uh, and his the first three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. They're all kind of go parallel with each other. But John, written later. Uh, it, he does not uh, necessarily follow that same outline, and so it has some fresh insights that we'll talk about. So he wrote the Gospel of John. So I'd encourage you today to read the Gospel of John uh, this week, uh, and then at Sunday Circles, we're going to discuss him next Sunday, and read First, Second, and Third John. First John is off the chart. If you just had a book that you needed to follow to get you to heaven and get you right on track, you could read First John. I'm telling you, it's power packed. So read First John, Second, Third, and then read Revelation. You say, oh man, that's a lot. Well, did you know Revelation, though it may be the hardest, it's the only book in the Bible that has an added blessing if you read it and look at it and study it. You read the first verse or two, and it's the only book that there's an added blessing to those who read it and listen and hear the word of the Lord. So there's some suggested readings to get kind of wrap your head around John, the apostle of uh, love and truth. Uh, and and then and if you do some Googling, <clears throat> you'll discover that some people don't believe he wrote Revelation, that it was another John. Uh, it's I don't think that's true. It's really irrelevant. Uh, uh, but uh, there's no reason to even be concerned about that. But if you get to Googling and you hear somebody say that they don't believe he wrote Revelation, uh, then you can just say, well, that's their, their I, I think he did. But there's a little controversy over that. So there's the suggested reading. And here is our memory verse. If you're in John 20, verse tw- uh, 31, and this really encompasses uh, the, 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 the ministry of John, the apostle of love and truth. It says this. Let's read it together. But these are written. Let me stop and say, he's talking about the words that he's writing. But these, everybody out loud. Here we go. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, I got two that's there, uh, but uh, that's my fault. Let's read it together and get rid of one of the that's. Here we go. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, you don't need to turn over there, but let me just show you another parallel verse to that. In 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 13, he says almost the same thing. He says this, these things I've written to you. And so this, this is encompasses why he does what he does. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's really the whole purpose of his life. And really, we could take that too, that people would believe in Jesus and know that they have eternal life. How many of you know that's the purpose of God for the church too? Amen. And so uh, this John the Apostle is a certainly a hero of the faith. Let me just give you uh, a quick overview of his life, and some of it I've already hit upon. Uh, number one, he was one of the first chosen fisherman followers. 
his brother James, and Simon and Andrew of another family. They were all fishing, and you can see this in Matthew 4, where Jesus comes to them and he says, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So Peter and Andrew, who were brothers, they left their nets and followed him. And James and John left their nets and followed him. And so he's he's among the first of, of four who were called by Jesus to come and follow him, and they became his trusted disciples, and later we could call them apostles. And as I said, he's the brother of James, uh, and they were named by Jesus the sons of thunder. Uh, and he was the younger brother uh, of James. I told you he's the youngest of the apostles. He was the younger brother. And you can see that in the writings. When you read those suggested readings, it'll say, and James, the son of, of uh, Zebedee and John, his brother. It, it almost like, okay, John's the, but he was the littler one. He was the younger one. He was the younger brother. So that's the way that addresses him. And we'll find that just because you're, let me just start over. Just because you're the youngest, doesn't mean you're going to have any less of an impact. In fact, uh, I'm the youngest of three brothers, and my brother, one of my brothers, is the uh, on the basically the Supreme Court of the state of Texas. He's a pretty important fella. Uh, but you know what? I'm the younger brother, but I've had a pretty good impact in my life, and so I kind of I kind of equate a little bit to John. Uh, but he was the younger brother, uh, and uh, he became one of the closest to Jesus. Uh, he he became really, if you want to call it that, Jesus' best friend. Now, don't want to blow anybody's theology out of the water. How many of you know Jesus loves everybody just the same? <clears throat> and how many of you could say you love everybody, but there's some people that are special to you? It doesn't mean that that's wrong. It means that there are different levels of relationship. In fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, you'll discover that, that John the Apostle was, in fact, we could call it in our vernacular, his best friend, his closest friend. I'll explain that momentarily. In fact, John refers to that in John 21 at the close to the end of the book. He says, uh, because Peter, Peter is being brought back into the ministry by the resurrected Christ, and of course, Peter has some concerns about the little brother, John, and you read that it's kind of cool at the end. And Jesus says, you don't worry about him. But John says, Peter looked at the other disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who put his head on the shoulder of Jesus at the meal. And so John is, is, is highlighting the fact, though in third person, that Jesus and John were very close. And it was so, he was, felt so close that he said, it's the one who Jesus loved. He wasn't referring that he loved him more. It was that John just realized and understood that they had a very close, common relationship and, 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 and good relationship. So he was really, uh, the, if you want to call him the best friend, he was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who all went on the Mount of, let's see, uh, Jesus took, uh, James and John and Peter, is that right? Those three, he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus was in the, uh, he was with Jesus in the room, uh, uh, to raise, uh, the, the ruler of the synagogue's daughter from the dead. And, and he invited, he didn't let anybody else in, but he let, I think, James and John and Peter into the room. Just on, so it just shows the, the closeness that Jesus had with those, uh, first disciples as really in, with, uh, and as, as well as with John the apostle. 
Uh, he was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asked them to come with him. And so it reveals the closeness once again. And then when we get to the to the betrayal and we get to the arrest and the trial and the beating and the ultimate crucifixion, John, listen carefully, was the only disciple that did not depart him. He stayed. And that reveals what a hero of the faith he really is, that when all the other disciples fled and when Peter actually did what? He denied the Lord. John, the disciple who Jesus loved, stayed through it all. And he was with Jesus. And if you look in John 19, he was with Jesus as Jesus hung on the cross. And he was there with Jesus' mother Mary and the other Mary and someone else. And what did Jesus do? Jesus looked at John and said, John, you take care of my mom. She's now your mother. You take care of her. And he gave into the care of John, the one who stuck with him through it all, the trusted apostle. He gave to John the responsibility of taking care of Mary, his mother. So uh, he was there. In fact, at the resurrection, if you read John, you'll discover... How many of you know the women always get a, get a head start on everything? The women found the empty tomb, and then they came back and said, the tomb is empty. Somebody stole the body, you know, and there's just... And Peter and John headed for the tomb. And the Bible says, basically, John outran him. He was the first disciple, the first apostle to walk into the empty tomb. And see that the, in fact, it, this is interesting because how many of you know there was a great un- uncertainty even among the disciples about the resurrection and about, they didn't understand all that. But John says that the disciple whom Jesus loved, the other disciple, ran ahead and he saw the tomb was empty. And this is what he says, and he believed. John was the only one out of all of them who, be, who, who had a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ before anyone else had it. He believed in what the words of Jesus that he would rise from the dead. And so then you move past the resurrection into John 21 when the resurrected Christ, now catch this, the resurrected Christ, they're out fishing, you remember? And Jesus comes uh, to, on the shore and he's, and he's, you know, they're on the shore and they look and they're going, who is it? John was the one who realized. Some people think Peter did. It wasn't Peter. Peter was downcast because he had made big mistake. But John looked and he's the one who said about the resurrected Christ, he is the Lord. So we see this unique close relationship that John had with Jesus. He was the first to recognize that the Lord was risen from the dead. And then, as I said, he wrote five books of the Bible. And when you look into Galatians, you'll find that Paul recognized John as a pillar in the church. And so John lived a great life. And here's one word that I want to give you about uh, Jesus. He was trusted. He was trustworthy. Somebody say trustworthy. 
And that's what we're really going to look at a little bit today. If we could take away one word, one thought about John, he was trustworthy through it all, through the hard times, through the, through the bad times. He was one who could be trusted. He was trusted with Mary, Jesus' uh, mother. He was trusted with the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, and, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you look at the Gospels, though Matthew, Mark, and Luke reference the Holy Spirit, John gives a greater insight about the ministry of the Holy Spirit than any of the other disciples. If you read in John 14, 15, and 16, he gives some great insight about the coming Holy Spirit uh, that was about to be made manifest uh, in the world. And then Jesus uh, trusted John with the revelation of himself through the book of Revelation and the revelation of the end times. And so he was trusted by Jesus. How many of you would like to come to the close of your life and be known as trustworthy? To be able to be trusted by Jesus to fulfill his kingdom purpose in the earth. And so in just a moment, I'm going to kind of capsulize this thought about Jesus uh, being trusting of, of, of John the apostle uh, and becoming trustworthy all the days of his life. And there was so much, as I looked into his life, there was so much. We could, we could spend a month, we could spend a week, uh, just uh, 40 hours a week studying this one man and his influence and how God spoke to him and moved through him and helped him. And in fact, I love Revelation when he's, he's banished on the Isle of Patmos because of his witness for Christ. You see, his commitment and trust and his commitment to Christ got him banished to an isle called Patmos. And, and I love this because even in his, uh, uh, you know, desolate place all by himself, the Bible says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He saw the Lord. And so what a guy. Everybody said, what a guy. There's so much I could say about him, but in 1 John, if you want to turn over to 1 John, I looked at this letter, which is written to believers, basically. And though the letter does not say that John wrote the book, early his, historians and early church leaders all confirmed that this letter was written by John the Apostle. So there's really no dispute among anyone about the authorship of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so, uh, though he doesn't say, he doesn't give himself you know, I, John the Apostle, say to you, uh, history and early church leaders all say, theologians all say, John the Apostle wrote these three letters. So with that in mind, uh, there was so much here. I, I mean, I just, it's just chock full. If you, if you don't even read the Gospel of John and you want to just pick one of the three to read as suggested reading, read First John because it's the latter years of his life. Uh, in fact, we're going to look at this angle. Uh, we're going to look at eight life lessons for God's little children from 1 John. Eight life lessons for God's little children from 1 John. In fact, eight places in these five chapters, I think there's five, yes, uh, these five chap chapters, he references those who he's writing to as little children. Everyone say little children. Now, there's two thoughts about this. Number one, he was the littlest among the bunch, but now he is, uh, in fact, most theologians believe that he was the last, he lived longer than any of the other apostles. And I tried to determine when this book was written. 
And it's hard to determine, but they believe it's getting close to the second century uh, when, <coughs> pardon me, that this book was written because there was deception that was abounding. And, and if you know a little bit of church history, there was the Gnosticism, I can't really say it, that was becoming prevalent and a lot of deception getting into the church. And so John addresses that in this, but he, he references those who he's writing to as little children. Now that may sound demeaning, but, uh, it reveals number two, uh, that he's grown up a little bit and he feels fatherly. Now he's not just, you know, uh, uh John, the brother of James, the son of, of Zebedee. He's now in his own ride and now at a place of real influence in the earth. And, and he v- with very, you know, just as a fatherly influence, little children. So you get that. But number two, uh, the fact that he calls them and all of us and the woes who read this little children, it's not a put down. Okay. Because if you know what Jesus said in Matthew 18, he says, unless you become as a what little child, he said, if you humble yourself as little children. So Jesus lifted the understanding of little children in the eyes of us and, and said, if, you, and if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you got to become like a little child. So really, when, J- when John, uh, the apostle, is saying little children, he's really validating who they are. Are you with me? These are people who have humbled themselves and yielded themselves to the governance and the influence of Christ in their life. So he's talking to us today. Uh, everybody say, little children. And this is really, I'm just going to just show you some things today. Uh, I'm going to show you these eight life lessons that we should embrace. Uh, in fact, there's other ways of looking at this. When you read this first John, uh, if you looked at it from the things that we need to know, uh, in fact, he's the God, he's the apostle of, of, uh, of love and, and truth, man. He was, he was a believer in the truth. In fact, what did he write about Jesus? The quotation of Jesus, only place in the, in the four gospels, he said, uh, where he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John's the only one who who recorded that. So John is a big uh, apostle of truth, and you'll see that in this first John, but you'll also see when you read through it, he's the apostle of love and and the love of God that he experienced, the love of Jesus that he experienced in his life and the responsibility now that we have the responsibility to love others. And so I encourage you to read through that. But here's the eight life lessons. I'm just going to talk about them momentarily. Number one, here's the first one that we see. Uh, in fact, uh, once you get through chapter one, and you don't want to skip chapter one because it really enumerates the purpose of God for our life, that we would walk in the light, that we would receive him and believe him. And then you get to chapter two. Here it is, the first life lessons. And we have an advocate. Everyone say we have an advocate. Chapter two, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now I'm telling you, this is chock full of truth. He's telling us the power of what Christ has done in our life that to deal with the sin problem. Uh, and how many of you know Jesus came to take care of the sin problem? Look what he says in verse two. He says, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He's lifted 
casting in the eyes of these little children the reality that Jesus Christ is their advocate. He's the one. In fact, the word advocate means this. The Greek is parakaletos. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit word, the Spirit of God, in, in New, it's paraclete, the helper. This is a little a different angle to it. It's the intercessor, the parakaletos, the one who comes to intercede for you and, and stand, if you will, between God uh, and you to, <coughs> to intercede and be an advocate for you in your natural state. And what he's saying is this, yes, Jesus came to deal with the sin problem. And if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. And he took care of the sins of all the world on Calvary's cross. How many of you know that's a great life lesson as little children? We must always embrace in our life that Jesus took care of the sin problem for us. Somebody say amen. Amen. And if we do sin, and what did he say in chapter 1? You know, if you confess your sins, that doesn't mean just say, I, you know, like you see, in, I don't want to be demeaning of other religions. It's not just going into a booth and say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. You know, let me tell you what all I've done and enumerate your sin. That word confess means to agree with God about, to be in agreement with him about the sins of your life. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Good to see you, John. Thank you. And to come into a place of agreement with God about sin and not only agreement with God about your sin, but agreement with God about how he's taken care of our sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody say we have an advocate. Number two, second life lesson for little children is we have been forgiven. You would think you'd get that down, but how many of you know sometimes we forget the fact that Jesus looked at our sin and he forgave it. He not only forgave it, but he washed it white as snow. Look in verse 12 of that same chapter. I write to you, everybody say little children. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He just came to tell the little children, you need to understand because of what Christ has done, your sins are. They not will be. Somebody say are. How many of you know the the cross of Christ took care of our sins past, present, and future? Are you with me? Say amen. What a great truth for us to know as his kids. That he's not just willing to forgive us, but he has already forgiven us. Everybody say we've been forgiven. That ought to lift you. Some people get so hung up in the past, they can't get to their, they're froze up in the the here and now because of the past. Listen, Jesus took care of your sin. Past, present, and future. Everybody say, we've been forgiven. Number three, the, the third life lesson for little children that you and I need to embrace in our life as believers. <clears throat> it is the last hour. Everyone say, it is the last hour. Turn the page, at least in my book, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 and 17. He talks about don't love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. Then he talks about all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away. Somebody say the world is passing away. You need to understand something. Life on planet Earth is terminal. 
Hello? Did you know planet Earth, the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere? Life on planet Earth is eternal. He said the world is passing away. It's in the process right now of passing away. And then look what he says in verse 18. Uh, well, he said the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That's huge too. But look in verse 18, little children. Everybody say little children. Here's number three, little children. It is the last hour. Somebody say last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. Now, I'll stop right there. Hey, there's a lot of people, and, and very recently someone tried to put a day on, on the destru- either the destruction of the earth or return of Christ. I don't know. But how many of you know the Bible says nobody knows the time or the day? But we do understand the seasons. And you under, need to understand prophetically as little children that, hey, though we don't under, we can't pinpoint the day, uh, but we do understand the season. And, and in fact, when the church was birthed, Peter gets up and preached and he quotes Joel and he said, in the last days, somebody say last days. In the last days, I'll do what? I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so we need to understand something that when the church was birthed over 2,000 years ago, the prophetic time clock of God was turned back uh, right side up and the sands of time uh, or or God's prophetic uh, moment kind of stopped, if you will, uh, in order for the church to do her work. But we are living in the last days. Somebody say last days. And you think, oh man, that that should not scare us. It should make us excited. It should put us busy about the Father's business to do the will of God. Because he who does the will of God abides abides for uh, forever. And we need to understand that the times we live, we're closer to the return of Christ uh, than anybody else in the history of humanity. And you look, hey, you just look around you. And I don't want to put fear in anybody's heart. It ought to put faith in our heart that Jesus Christ, you say, well, I don't, how's it all going to, you know, and, and, and these, we get so hung up. You read the revelation, you read this and that, and you try to figure it all out. Jesus just said this about the last days. You be ready and you be watching and you be faithful and you keep serving. Are you with me? Say amen. He said, little children and the Christ have already come. And I'm telling you, there's deception in the earth. There's a watering down of the word of God. Little children, it is the last hour. He says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. But if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. Then he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Listen, I'm t- what's he saying? In the middle of all this deception, you got the Holy Ghost. You've got the discernment of the spirit. In fact, you'll read through this. You'll In chapter 4, he talks about understanding the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In this last hour, number four, little children, it is this, uh, abide in him, abiding in him. Look in chapter two, verse 28. He says this, he said, and now here's the next one, little children, everybody say little children. Now, little children abide in him. Now catch this. And when he appears, I'm going to tell you something. John believed that Jesus was coming back. 
He believed it was the last hour. In fact, I believe John lived in a way that he thought that Jesus may come back in his lifetime. And you say, well, he missed it a little bit. No, he didn't miss it. That's the way we all need to live. And be busy about the Father's business. And be trustworthy. As John was trustworthy with the call of God on his life. He said, abide in him. That word abide means to stay, to continue, to dwell in him. And as you know, that little word in, I in, everyone say I in. It's the biggest little word in the New Testament. I've said it 101 times. It means stay in a fixed position. Someone say fixed position. He says to his disciples, he says to the little children, here's one thing you need to do in these days of deception, in these, in this last hour. You can't wander. You can't, uh, 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 uh stray away from the, the, the things of God. You gotta stay focused. You gotta continue. You gotta live and dwell and move and have your being in Him, in a fixed position. Abide in Him. And if you read John, you'll discover that he quoted Jesus about abiding in the vine. In John 15, you remember? Abiding, living, dwelling, moving, have your being in a fixed position in Christ. Little children. Number five, the fifth little child, little children, life lesson is this, don't be deceived. There's deception everywhere. Look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. He says this, little children, here we go. Let no one deceive you. Let's all say that together. Little children, say it out loud. Little children, let no one deceive you. Say it. He who practices righteousness is righteousness, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose of the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. We've got to guard our hearts against the deception of this life. And it comes in all kinds of packages. Do not be deceived. That word means to be caused to roam, to go astray, to wander, to be seduced. There's seducing spirits in the world today. In fact, Paul the Apostle said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He talked about the seducing spirits. 1 Timothy 4, 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter day, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. See, the last days, one of the earmarks of the last days is the seducing spirits of the evil one, seducing God's people away from the core foundations of truth. Amen. Little children, don't be deceived. Number six, little children, love in deed and in truth. Look at first John chapter three, verse 18. Look what he says. Uh, verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Everyone say in deed and in truth. And then he said, and basically what he's saying, if you read the whole context of the, read the, you'll find that, that, uh, that John is addressing, don't just say this and, and not do it. 
If you say you love your brother, guess what? You need to love your brother. It's got to happen in deed and in truth. Everyone say in deed and in truth. We've got to love people not only with what we say, but if we say it, it better be backed up with doing it. And in truth, I saw something funny early on in this hurricane, uh, and it is, and some of you, uh, you know, if you're Facebook, you see a lot of things, some things you don't want to see, and some things you do want to see. And so, uh, early on, I think it was my, my uncle from Houston, it, it was a, is it called a meme, M-E-M-E? It was a picture of a, the back end of an empty diesel truck. There was nothing in it. And it, and it said this, the first load of prayers and thoughts have safely arrived in Houston. You get the picture? People are saying, our prayers and thoughts are with the people of Southeast Texas. And what was the meme saying? Well, if you love us, put something in the truck. And that's what I, you remember me. I told, I told people, in fact, I've, I told people online, don't, hey, when you deal with these, with these, uh, storm victims and these people who've been through it, don't tell them if you need anything, call me. They need everything. You just come with something in the truck. And that's what, that's what the apostle's saying here. Hey, in our love for others, don't just say it and not do it. In fact, I've had, I've had people do that with me and I bless their hearts. You know, if you need anything, call me. And I actually said, I'm calling you. I need, we, hey, we need money. We need help. What do you think we need? Your thoughts and prayers? <laughs> I appreciate your thoughts and prayers, but if your thoughts and prayers, in fact, uh, hey, uh, you, you gotta understand that's, we need to learn that with our own life. And come with something in the truck with people who have needs. Are you with me? Say amen. Number seven. Life lesson number seven. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Look in chapter four, first John chapter four. In fact, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to read probably the six verses. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this, you know, see, that's, that's another way of studying this book. Go back and look at all the things we ought to know. And man, you're going to find, you better know this, but this, you know, the spirit of God, but this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And you are of God, little children. Here we go. We, somebody say, we are of God, little children. Ooh, I love this. He said, in the middle of all this deception, when the spirit of deception is here, the spirit of God will come and confirm that you are of God and you have overcome them. Because, somebody say, because. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We sing a song, our God is greater. Greater is he, listen, little children, I don't know what you're up against. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I do a little thing every Sunday morning called Breakfast with Champions. Anybody watch me? Anybody ever watch Pastor Breakfast with Champions? I've got eight, eight people who watch me. 
I got, but hey, some of them live in other countries. I, I met one of them from Mexico, uh, Jerry Witt, uh, at his mom's funeral. And he said, man, I love your breakfast with champions. He does every morning. He makes me send me his, my sermon notes a lot of times. He's from Mexico. He's a missionary in Mexico. And so I met him. He was telling me all about it. And, and, uh, he had someone there with him. He's, he was telling them how breakfast with champions. And, and I said, man, I'm so glad to meet one of my seven fans. I appreciate you, Jerry. One of my seven fans. But I always say this, there's a champion living on the inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. My friend Dave Bell, who's in heaven, been in heaven for many years. In fact, we visited his graveside the other day when we were there at the funeral of Jerry Witt's mom. He wrote a song that we used to sing. I got the victor living in me. I got the victor living in me. I'm not moved by what I feel or see. I got the victor living in me. So I will sing and I will dance. I will rejoice for the battle is the Lord. There's no defeat in our ranks because the victor has won the war. Man, I wonder if Dave was looking down, going, "He can't, he can't do that." (laughs) Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. Tell somebody that. Look at somebody right now. Say, "Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world." Tell somebody. Come on, Barry. Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. Brent, greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. And finally, number eight. The eighth little children, life lesson. Keep yourselves from idols. Interesting thought here, the last verse of First John. It's like there was one thing he was finishing up and the la- he got there and said, how many of you know a lot of times the last words are the most important words? He says it in one line. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, uh, elaborate. He says, little children. Man, and he, he just, I love this. He didn't say the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Man, I love you and, and, you know, and, you know, kiss his hugs and, you know, tell the grandkids I said hello. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. <laughs> so be it. And let me know the first two of the Ten Commandments hit this right between the eyes. Keep yourself from idols. How many of you know, in fact, that word keep means to guard. And in this world we live in, undoubtedly, God knew even when he, when he pinned the Ten Commandments on the stone on the mountain that one of the big issues of the church is idol worship. You say, oh, not this day. You know, that back then they were, uh, they were making graven images and, 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 and worshiping stone idols and all this stuff. And that doesn't happen today. Oh, yes, it does. It happens in all kinds of different ways. An idol is anything that takes the place of Jesus and we give it more time, energy, and effort in our life. And it becomes something we serve rather than, uh, than something that serves us. Are you with me? In some cases, it could be the internet. It could be a person. 
It could be a video game, for goodness sake. It could be Facebook. Oh! Little children, keep yourself from idols. And everybody said, Amen. So John, the trusted apostle of love and truth, shared with us in this one five-chapter letter, we have an advocate. We've been forgiven. It is the last hour. Abide in him. Don't be deceived. Little children, love indeed and in truth. Little children, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And little children, keep yourself from idols. I think in some ways these little children insights help us as well. Follow along in the footsteps of John, the trusted apostle of love and truth, to build within us a lifestyle of being trustworthy. So with that in mind, as we close, let me give you today's life lesson. Here it is. Let's read it out loud together. Can you see it? Here we go. Today's life lesson from John, the trusted apostle of love and truth. Here we go. Becoming trustworthy in the eyes of the Lord is a lifelong process of believing His Word is true and accepting the correction and direction His Word provides and then selflessly loving those whom He loves by boldly sharing with them what His Word says. That's really the life of John. He believed, in fact, remember the first one into the, into the empty tomb? I believed. He believed. He understood the power of faith and obeying and, and, and understanding the truth of God's Word in his life. Here, let's read it again together. Here, today's life lesson. Becoming trustworthy in the eyes of the Lord is a lifelong process of believing his Word is true and accepting the correction and direction his Word provides and then selflessly loving those whom he loves by boldly sharing with them what His Word says. What a life lesson. Take a picture of it. Meditate on it this week. Read the Gospel of John. Read John 1, 2, and 3. Read Revelation. You say, that's a lot of reading. Oh, you, you, you'd be amazed. Where's Sabrina? Sabrina's in, she studies. You got to read a lot to, to get it, right? You got to read a lot. Is it any different with us as believers. No, you got you need to read a lot and believe a lot and apply it in our life. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just thank the Lord that we're his little children. And if you're not his child today, you can become his child. I don't want to assume here that Everyone has been born again. If you've not been born again, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. Father, today we believe your word is true. We believe you died for us, that you were buried and you rose again so we could have new life. We believe in the atonement 
of the blood of Christ. Your blood was shed so we could be forgiven. We receive that into our hearts and life. And we thank as little children we've been forgiven. And so, Lord, today we want to embrace your word. Not only your word, but your word that was given us through John, your best friend on planet Earth, your trusted apostle. May his life and your life blend together for us today to live a life that would bless you, that would be trustworthy in the eyes of the Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now, if you want to be trustworthy, you know what you need to do today? Take what you've heard and as John as that and share it with someone else. Amen.